0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters in Christ. This afternoon, the scripture reading is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. Reading from Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Joseph's assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the lands of the Hattites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, or that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what, to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord our God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Church, shall we rise as we receive the Gospel reading? The gospel for this evening can be found in the 17th chapter, according to the gospel of St. Matthew, reading from the 14th verse. Glory to Christ our Savior. Matthew's gospel, chapter 17, reading from verses 14 to verse 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before Jesus said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizure and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads as we come to the Lord in prayer? Indeed, Father, we pray that your word will never depart from our mouth, that we shall meditate on it day and night. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word so freely. And now as we look afresh in your word this evening, we pray that you speak to us. Holy Spirit, being in our midst as we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? <coughs> This evening, we're going to begin as we start the second half of the year by looking into the book of Joshua. And as we begin this time, I want to ask this question. Have you ever been in this awkward and maybe perhaps even challenging situation where your boss assigned you an important task which perhaps you felt you're not quite up to it? Or maybe you have been promoted too suddenly and now sense that the new responsibilities attached are just... Too huge for you to handle. There's way too much demand upon you as it affects your time, your family, and sometimes maybe even your health. Sounds familiar? Well, you may have gone through such a situation. And if you have, you know, you will probably respond the way many people will cry out, in which they will cry out in anguish in this resounding, I can't. I can't. These are two fatal words that often comes out from the mouth of us Christians, which brings about discouragement, despair, and ultimately leads to the stifling of our growth in our walk with the Lord. <clears throat> and truth of the matter is, all of us we are all guilty of this one time or another when we articulate sentences like this: "I can't resist the temptation." or I can't forgive what you have done, or I can't answer God's call to serve. And you find that all of these words attack our self-control, breaks down marriages, and even challenges our faith. And certainly in the case of Joshua, the son of Nun, who could really blame him if he did mumble these two words soon after the death of Moses and after that being appointed by God to be the next leader to lead the people of Israel. After all, if you think about this, it sure wasn't easy to succeed in the footsteps of a godly leader. To carry on the great work of his predecessor who had you know, poured out 40 long years of his life into God's work and purpose, was really no easy feat. You know, it's, it's, it's like taking over Bishop Rennes' position as the vicar of St. John, St. Margaret. I tell you, the comparison will be massive. The members there will compare, they will command, that, you know, Bishop Rennes is very pastoral and gentle, but you are not. Bishop Rennes puts his hand on your shoulders, and you don't. That is some of the example that you may get. And for Joshua to assume this Moses' to, to assume Moses's leadership position after his death was certainly a case of, Sheul, of, of the shoes being too big to be fitted. So let's consider some of the possible excuses Joshua could have given to God to answer, I can't. For a start, the excuse number one could be simply this. Moses is dead. For a start, there was no one quite like this man, isn't it? He was one of a kind with high standards, so difficult to measure up to. When the Hebrew people were enslaved, it was this man who dared to approach Pharaoh, to confront him, and even demand Pharaoh that, God, that he set God's people free. And when they came across the Red Sea, when the Red Sea became an obstacle, We find that it was again this man who prayed to God for deliverance. And then, in the midst of the vast wilderness, Moses was there again to intervene, asking God to miraculously provide for the people the necessities for survival. You know, it's like the lyrics in the Ghostbusters song Who are you going to call? Moses. Every time he has a problem, who are you going to call? Moses Moses will always be there. No wonder we find that he was a man held in high esteem and honored by the Jews. But alas, Israel was now at a key transitional point. At last they are now lost their champion and their hero. Moses, their charismatic leader was gone and gone forever. Like any mortal being, his time was up. And after years of wandering in the desert, they now have no one to lead them into the promised land of milk and honey. So if you were part of this Israelites, you could imagine the fear, you could imagine the grief that must have gripped the people at the announcement of this news that Moses is now dead. In fact, if you go to verse 9, verse 9 records for us that God himself even knew how frightened Joshua was feeling. Who wouldn't be, isn't it, if you've lost your leader that you uphold to so dearly, and you're now faced with this insurmountable challenge that is ahead. But church, I want you to note that the verse doesn't stop at the news where God declared to Joshua that my servant Moses is dead. It didn't stop there. Because you find that before they even had time to mourn and to get over the death of their beloved leader, God's instruction for Moses, for Joshua, was this. Look at me in verse 2. God told Joshua, He says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. After hearing this, we could probably argue and say that, you know, God, maybe you should be more sympathetic. Maybe you should be more compassionate and instructed Joshua differently. Why ask him to immediately go know, after Moses has died? Why straight away go? After all, you know, we all have wake services for those who are dead that last for three or more days. But here God immediately told Joshua, Moses is dead, but you arise and you go. You see, the command here was clear. Joshua was to arise and go. And the point that is made here is very simple. Joshua and the people needed to know that though Moses is dead, God, however, is still alive and directing them. The leader may have passed on, but the real leader lives on. So excuse number one, Moses is dead excuse number two, possibly excuse number two for for, for Joshua to say, I can't, is because of the two million people under his charge. Or maybe to rephrase the sentence, Joshua could have given the excuse of saying, I can't, because he had to lead two million inexperienced men. Now bear in mind that these were raw men who had never passed the way before. Neither had they the exposure of any form of military warfare. Their fathers were the ones who rebelled against God. The fathers were the ones who had gone through some uh, war, but not this generation. They were the new generation, and they were called to inherit the land. They weren't the spies that went to see the high walls of fortified Jericho. And yet, in time to come, it is this same generation, this new generation of people that will engage in battle against the parasites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, and maybe even the mosquito bites as well. How will they fare? Second reason, second excuse for Moses to say, I can't, the people lack experience. And just for us to get a feel of the enormous task Before them, let's analyze the enemy, taking the Amorites as an example. And here's a bunch of really, really bad people, very brutal in nature. As part of their culture, historians tell us that this group of people, they sacrificed babies in their worship, and they devoted themselves to witchcraft and all sorts of idolatries. So there you have it, three solid Viable excuses for Joshua to have protested to God over his new assignment and to utter the words, I can't. To recap them, excuse number one, the leader Moses is dead. Excuse number two, the people lack experience. Excuse number three, the enemies are brutal. I'm sure you can agree with me. If Joshua did utter these words, we could could not fault him, isn't it? But you know what? Search with me again the scriptures and you find no evidence of this man saying these two words. In fact, if you read in verse 9, you find that soon after God had given him this instruction, Joshua immediately assembled and mobilized the people for the mission. In other words, he didn't say, I can't. He said, I can. So the question for us is this. How then did he move, or how can we move from moving from I can't to I can? And you know, in times like this, as a new leader, Joshua did not need advice. What Joshua needed was encouragement. And this is exactly what the Lord did in this passage. Because you find that the Lord encouraged Joshua three times. Encouraged three times with these words to him to be strong and to be courageous. In verse 6, in verse 7, and in verse 9. And to begin, you find that Joshua drew that great encouragement and strength from two things. Firstly, it is from the promises... Of God. Reference with me from verses 2 to 6. You find that Joshua drew on these three specific promises of God to him. Now I want you to notice that God never offered any explanation as to how the promises that He's going to give to Joshua will come about. And this is true of all his promises to us. He never tells us how or when it will occur, just that it will happen. In His time. Just take the example of God's promise to Abraham. What was God's promise to Abraham? That he will make Abraham a father of many nations. And when did this promise come? 25 years later, when Abraham was a good ripe old age of 100 years. So God's promise will always be fulfilled, but not in our time, but in his time. And from this we learn and remember this important principle that God's people that you and I live not on his explanation but only on his promises alone. And when we begin to trust and start in his begin to start and trust in his promises then we can begin to step out in faith. And this is exactly what happened to Joshua. So what then was the three promises? Well, look with me again to the passage and you find These were the three promises that God gave to Joshua. Firstly, he promised Joshua the promise of entry into the land. Verse 2, he says, Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And continuing on to verse 3, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. You know, over the centuries, God had affirmed this covenant promise of land to His children. And we see this from the very first time He met Abraham in Genesis 12 to the very last words to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 34. He reminded His people that He's going to to give them a land. And because God has ordained this, no one is able to stop Him. It is therefore our responsibility that whatever God has promised us, it is our responsibility, therefore, to step out in faith and to claim the promise that God has given to us. And church, this is the application for us. If we are to activate the promises of God in our life, we are not merely just to agree and believe in them, we must act on it. And for many of us, we have been to the church camp. We have heard, The message that Bishop Raphael has shared for us. The promise that God says that He's going to do something new in our midst. The question is, do we just believe in it? Or do we act on it? The promise of God is something that we can always rely on because He will fulfill it. So firstly, there's a promise of entry into the land. But it makes sense, isn't it? That in order to enter into the promised land of milk and honey there must be victory over the occupants. There must be victory over the enemy. And so therefore you find that the second promise that God encouraged Joshua is the promise of victory over the enemies. Listen to God's assurance to Joshua in verse 5. He says this, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. So what this simply means is that no matter how strong or how powerful the nations may be, they are no match for Israel, they are no match for God. And then as a sign of this promise of victory, the Lord continued to assure Joshua of his presence. Because continuing on to verse 5, he says this, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And if you recall, David Leong sharing a couple of weeks back at our family service weekend, he shared a little bit about the presence of God, isn't it? And what did David highlight? He highlighted to us that when there's the presence of God, There is three things. There is power, there's protection, there's pleasure. And you find that for Joshua, God's presence was crucial for him. Why? Because he had learned from his time with Moses, and especially in Exodus 33, never to move ahead without the presence of God. Furthermore, in his experience, he knew that in his previous encounter, that whenever the presence of God is present, victory is confirmed. So simply understood, victory is always linked to the very presence of God. And the good news for us is that this same promise of victory, this same promise of God's presence, they are both available for you and I today. Why? Because if you look at Matthew 28 verse 20, you find that when Jesus ascending back to heaven our Lord echoed these very same words to His disciples, that I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is always here with us. And if Jesus is present with us, we can have the victory. We can have the victory over anything that comes in our midst. Thus, you find that based on our covenant relationship with Him, we can be assured of God's victory and presence once we hold on to this promise. So the promise of entry, the promise of victory and presence. And thirdly, God promised Joshua the promise of inheritance. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, what is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that is bestowed upon you, not because you are worthy, not because you have done something good, neither is it because you earned or you bought it. You are bestowed an inheritance simply because of the relationship that you have with the giver. Therefore, all that is required therefore for God's people to receive the inheritance of the land is simply to receive it. And just as we receive a gift, we don't receive with a close or clenched fist. All we need to do is to receive it with open hands. And I want you to note here that God never said in this verse about this inheritance that He might give them the land. God never said that To inherit this land, you must conquer it. Neither did he say that you must prove yourself to be worthy or you must earn and purchase it. The word, the key word mentioned here is the word give. And the word give is mentioned three times here in this section. In verse 2 from I am giving to verse 3, I have given to verse 6, I swore to give them. And to repeat what I've just said, To give implies that a transaction has already taken place. The suggestion here is that the land that God had promised to Israel has already been transferred over to the owner, has already been transferred to the Jewish people. All that they needed to do is to receive it. That's the three promises that God encouraged Joshua with. And in Joshua's case, victory was already certain. He, wasn't, he didn't need to take the land by force, but merely to receive it as an inheritance. So Joshua was able to move from I can't to I can by relying firstly on the promises of God. But the second encouragement that God gave to Joshua that enabled him to move from I can't to I can is, to rely, is for Joshua to rely on the Word of God. And in Joshua's case, the Word of God here is a reference to the law, a reference to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Verse 7 says this, God told Joshua this, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. You see, we live in a world of failing words. Everywhere you go, you find that there will be broken promises, there'll be empty vows, there'll be false assurances that are made. Couples say with great fanfare, I will always love you, or to death do I part, do do, do us part. Only to after a few years or so to forget these very words. But the good news is this, we will never hear this from God. In a world of failing words, God's words remain true. Amen? In a life of broken promises, God keeps His. How is this so? Well, because God is a covenant keeping God, He's a promise keeper. Whatever He says, He will fulfill it. The psalmist in Psalms 12 verse says this: "The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times." So this means that God's word is so pure that we can trust in it, that it will never fail us. And for Joshua, it's important for him to rely on the law, on the word of God, as stated in the second part of verse seven. We are told here that the instruction for him is this, do not turn from it from the right or from the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And in this one verse alone, we discovered here the key to Joshua's success and courage. Yes, he may have been a better hardened five-star general of the army of Israel, but for him to be strong, for him to be courageous, for him to be successful, Notice that God didn't instruct him to seek a kind of spiritual experience or maybe to go to a personal retreat. No. For him to be successful, to be strong, to be courageous, Joshua had to be subjected himself to be obedient to the Word of God. And in the life of any Christian, prosperity and success... Cannot be measured by the standard of the world. Blessings are the byproduct of a life holy devoted only to God and to his word. Hence, what Joshua needs to do is not, not good enough for him to carry or to know or possess the word. The law, the word of God, need to possess God's chosen one. And for God's status to be ingrained to Joshua, verse 7 clearly tells us, he had to do according to all the law. And this means he must follow everything that the law of God teaches, not turning from it to the least bit. But unfortunately to us, many Christians, we fail to heed this warning that Jesus wants us in Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14. We depart from the straight and narrow and instead we choose the white path which caused many of us to stumble and fall. In addition to this, we find that Joshua was also further commanded that for him to be successful, for him to to have the word of God ingrained in him, verse 8 says that this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so let's break this down and we find here the two principles that we must take note firstly is the principle of meditating the word of god and meditating as we know involves many steps meditating firstly involves the action of thinking muttering through reflecting and even retelling of the story someone once said that meditating is like a cow you know regurgitating its food And this is true in some way. So when we meditate on the Word of God, we remember, we memorize some Bible verses, and when time comes, we need to regurgitate it out again to to remind ourselves that this is what the Word of the Lord says. As to the phrase, day and night. Now this does not mean that Joshua was to read the Word of the Lord in the morning when he's awake, and then before he hit the second night, he was to read the Word of God again, though it is a good practice. But the understanding here is that when we come to the Word of God regularly, we have to come to it at every instance of the day. So as Joshua kept the law and meditated on it, he will be successful. And our spiritual life too will prosper when we continue to feed on the Word and live by its principle on a daily basis. In fact, you find that Psalms 1 echoes this truth. Psalms one said this Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he what? He meditates day and night. And when he meditates day and night, what is the result? Verse 3 says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So you want to be successful? You want to prosper? Meditate on the word of the Lord. Go to the word of the Lord on a daily basis. So church, are we therefore setting aside each day to heed for the green pastures of God's word? Victorious Christians are not those who know and believe in the promises of God, but they spend time meditating on His word. I want to invite the worship team to come up now. And as I close, I want us to think about this. What challenges are facing you right now that sometimes can cause us to utter these two words, I can't? Perhaps there's some of us here today who are going through some difficult crisis. You're facing some tension in your life. You're encountering some issue that is unknown, a situation in which you have no confidence in. Maybe like Joshua, you're, not, you're presented with a new challenge where the odds are stacked against you. Or perhaps for majority of us, could it be because after church camp, after hearing Bishop Raphael sharing that God is going to do a new thing in our midst, and we are unsure of what this new thing that God wants us to do. And all this can cause us to utter the words I can't. And if you think about this, what causes us to say these two words is really fear. And what? And, and the fear, fear of the unknown, fear of our inability, fear of the result. But church, listen, fear, the acronym of fear is this: it is false evidence appearing real. Fear is the false evidence that the devil puts in our mind. And these are not real at all. And so we need to move from fear to faith because faith is feeling afraid, I trust Him. We trust Him, we trust in His Word, we trust in His promises. So at such time as Joshua can testify, the promises of God can be comforting for us. And if this is you, I... Want to offer you to hold on to the following words of God. As we have looked in the first chapter of Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, the word of God challenges us to be strong, to be courageous. The word of God challenges us. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you whenever you go. And I leave you with this last verse in Philippians 4, verse 13 that we can move from I can't to I can because Paul tells us that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let us pray. So Father, we thank you Lord that as we begin the second half of the year, the Lord as we prepare ourselves to look forward to the new things that you're going to do in our midst. And just like Joshua and the people of Israel as they move into the promised land, the new thing that you're going to do for them, the obstacles before them may be difficult, the challenges ahead may be tough, but Father, help us to be like Joshua, not to have this negative attitude to say, I can't, but to first and foremost trust in you, to believe in you, to say that I can. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So Father, let this be our challenge, that as we move ahead, the words that we utter is not, I can't, but I can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.